0: 空が
1: All right, the crew, here we are, um, having a, having a, a, good yarn today, a sweet little yarn about one of my favorite things, one of my guilty pleasures, um, which is tiny homes. Hey, hey, hey. I've always imagined like, uh, crawling off into a little hovel of my own. Um, and <laughs> so I'd like to have a yarn today with, uh, with Johnny Mayer, uh, JMP, Jack Maine Bancroft, Jeff Yo, and Malika Robinson. Uh, who will introduce themselves because uh, I, I'm not gonna, and we're gonna have a good, good, long, deep yarn about uh, tiny homes. All right, so Johnny Mayer from Ethic, New York, Hello. is visiting back just uh, temporarily for a few days for a niece's wedding
2: yep i'm uh, i'm just around the corner from you Tyson, in melbourne at the moment and then traveling up to queensland next week for my niece's wedding um but excited to chat through and and learn more about what you're doing jeff and um and malika um but uh yeah i'm johnny mayor i'm one of the co-founders of um, ethic um and we do in uh, sustainable investment and we're We've been brought into the, the mix um, with this wonderful work that Jeff and um, Malik are doing around um, uh, the Guardians of Earth and excited just to, to chat through and, and learn more uh, and, and make some connections.
1: Yeah, Guardians of the Earth is uh, really exciting in and of itself. Like, uh, yeah, we, lots of stuff we're connected with um, uh, to work on there. Yeah, particularly around the, uh, nature and finance and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but uh, I, I guess we should get into that a little bit later too.
3: So, Jeff. Hi, everyone. Um, very happy to be part of this yarn. My very first time, to be honest. <laughs> so, I'm from uh, Tiny Away. So, at Tiny Away, what we basically do is um, we curate interesting plots of lands. Uh, we work with our land partners to sort of um, put our tiny houses on their plots with uh, I would say minimal impact to the environment because we, as tiny homes goes, um, we don't pile foundations into the ground. They're all built on trailer base. So hoping to create um, the experience, the ultimate experience of uh, experiencing and reconnecting with nature without basically harming the nature and learning more, I guess, through Guardians of Earth's participation as well, uh, learning more about the biodiversity that is in the region where we place our tiny houses. So really happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me once again. And uh, let's have a good yarn. Nice. <laughs> good yarn.
1: <laughs> Malika. Malika.
4: Yeah, thank is you.
1: Malika or Malika? I,
4: Either are fine. I was, Malika. I was
1: pretty confident, then, but then I saw it written. And I'm like, no, nah, maybe it's Malika. No,
4: no, there's it's two it's Ls totally there. Fine. Yeah, yeah, that, that's good. Thanks, uh, Tyson. Beep. Hey, good morning. All right, Mrs. Want. Robinson. Uh, I'm uh, speaking from Hyderabad, which is in South India. And um, I'm the co-founder of Earth Guardians. Our mission is basically to connect people um, to nature. And we do that through ethical technology. And as part of that, we've developed quite a few um, products The current one that we're working on is creating digital twins of land. And um, just as always, trying to make sure that at the end of the day, whatever we create, it um, increases the human power of engagement with nature. So, And um, as part of that journey, we've had the opportunity to meet with Jack, Johnny, and Jeff. And amazingly, all of our missions intersect and um, kind of build on each other so really wonderful to be here and Tyson your uh, what you're bringing in terms of the indigenous knowledge systems and the way um, indigenous people have been you know kind of understanding land i think that's been always missing in the puzzle and it's awesome to know that um, we can have some of your knowledge and guidance as we work on this
1: Hmm. i will that's that's very lovely. I tell you, you you've been a bit of a missing piece for us too, though, because you know for for a long time we've been working on a um, on a we've been working on a some kind of you know financial mechanism. We've been working out, and always the piece for me, the piece that's missing is a way to to measure and verify. You know, um, like you know, for example, with carbon credits, you know that that's measurable. You can measure how much is being put out and then suddenly how much isn't being measured out. This can be divided into units. Those things can be sold. These things can be speculated on, traded, all that sort of thing. Um, but when we were looking at how do we do offsets for healthy systems, for actual healthy systems, and the way these are interconnected, we, we couldn't, we, we were really struggling with that. But with Guardians, because part of that is, you know, almost this gamified way, where you've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who are all making observations in nature, and then that's going into the game. You know, they're recording this into the game uh, online. Then it's basically that's the data collection. The data collection is a crowdsourced, um, is crowdsourced observation. With like hundreds of thousands of nodes all out there, like the Internet of Things, except they're alive. The Internet of People. <laughs> Imagine such a thing. Anyway, um, yeah. So that that finding you guys that was like um, that was like the third heat. So it was pretty cool. Um, yeah. So. I don't know, but for me, I was really excited. I want to know more about the the tiny homes because that's what we're linking in with to try and put together for a uh, you know a bigger project as well. Um, it's all ties in with the same thing, you know, landlessness. How do we how do we make how do we make caring for country pay? How do we make it something that's valued economically so that we all don't have to starve to death while we're trying to keep the last little scraps of, of, of dirt alive on the planet. So um, yeah, I really liked this one. Does anybody want to? Jack, you want to intro yourself and then th- I'd throw out a bit of an elevator pitch maybe for how this how this one will work. Yeah, I, th-
5: I think the um,
1: the tiny hose and then we'll then we'll get into detail, and then we'll get into everyone's like metaphysics and 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 philosophies around it, and and just uh, blow some minds. Sounds
5: like a good um, hour well spent. The um, yeah. I- the, the word that keeps coming back to me is debt um, and thinking about how can we move from debt to at the very least reputational credit in, in the marketplace and I think where we get to move from reputational credit where the intelligence of nature is valued and the IP is valued in that sort of front end of an exchange then I think we, sell, we have ourselves a ball game like there's a the current in the playground in the Amazon, I think it's 30% of the water basin um, is remaining. If it gets under 20%, it's like game over for fresh water for humanity. And that's going to happen before the 1.5 degrees. One of the challenges over there is why they keep selling the land is because of debt and the debt is owned by a bank. So with this mapping tools, what what I think becomes very, very tangible and very possible is to be able to take that bank have them in relation to the Amazon, but then to other playgrounds and think about how we might be able to transition from the debt being the key trading um, functionality to then moving to a reputational credit. And when you've got crowdsource playgrounds around it, that, that feels like the goop energy of, of where we're really close to. So that that's sort of stack number one where I'm really interested in playing. Not like um, Gwyneth Paltrow. Like I'd right? love you to share. And, and Jeff, Sorry. you go
1: sorry Bruce. when you said goop i just want to make sure that uh you were like uh, promoting gwyneth paltrow
5: no no i'm not
1: uh yeah uh wellness products yeah you, so anyway i just wanted to keep, put that out there
5: you're going to struggle to get through one of the other others podcasts without a very strange obscure um modern film reference from tice um but i think malika and jeff like yeah diving into the your the, the deep thinking that you've both moved through that's what excites me is you where. When you go from very deep thinking, and when you can open up, also Malika, with like, oh, we don't know some of these areas, then I think we have the chance to cross hatch healthily and look out with emergence, not pretending to be experts. So the, yeah, the, the the a little bit of the history of the tiny home stuff from our end was my um my family's from the Bundjalung Nation in northern New South Wales and Australia, and we got hit pretty heavily with floods um in the last sort of year to two, and my sister was part of like the recovery effort, like one of the first responders on the ground, and from this small little town in um in lismore in australia this little newspaper called the Curry mail um this indigenous newspaper helped lead the flood recovery and they led it with a, a an indigenous systems approach it was sort of they were survive. they were looking after everybody and it was this really like strong relational hub and we started thinking about what the solve was systemically and asking these questions okay well the water's going to keep coming down that flood catchment. Like it should never have built land there. And Indigenous people—they're told, like people who are trying to build stuff and originally. So, the challenge we were thinking about was: what if you had mobility again with homes where you could, instead of all the money going into that town street, which everybody's life work is suddenly in that, you know, that one restaurant, and then all of the the, the value is just banked to that. There's no parallel. Um, economic playgrounds like your reputational credit of what you do with nature or whatnot and if the floods are coming how do you put those houses on wheels and move them up to the top of the hill and then when the flood's gone move them back down and that I think like is is more of the ways that we've just moved systemically to healthily move with the the fact that nature is always going to be shifting um so we've got to have mobility in what we're doing so I I think the tiny homes become really interesting playgrounds for social economic mobility, for fusing indigenous knowledge systems and, and ways of living on the land and in movement. And then the other big prize, which I think where Johnny works out of in New York, is we can't just, I don't think we can just do plots of land and be like, well, go and live on a plot of land in nature is some abstract concept. We've got to solve city challenges. And what becomes exciting in cities at the moment with all this remote workforce is empty office buildings. So tiny homes in in office levels and office buildings and then connecting all that together with a custodial economy where people could be moving around and living for free by giving a service of their custodial intelligence and knowledge into those playgrounds and creating a marketplace of movement for people to move. And that becomes super cool. Tiny homes, maybe Airbnb, a couple of other people and you have this whole ability now for Indigenous people and people of custodial mindsets to have economic freedom and mobility which has been the one thing that was taken away from us a couple hundred years ago. So that's, that's my big zoom out sort of overview map of of where I think we're at. Nice.
1: Nice visionary Jack. Um, I'll tell you what, if you, if you're ever in danger of of making these visions of yours come true, you're definitely going to get assassinated. Like that, that's, that's just how the world is. So I'll take a bullet for you though, Jack. Jack, I'll take a bullet for you. Thanks Ty. All right. So uh, just free range now, just just free range, um, jump in if you feel yourself to speak. Anybody um, particularly need to hear from uh, Malika, Jeff, Johnny. Um, yeah, jump in. How does this all tie together? Uh, tiny homes, finance, the end of the world, um, nature, all these thanks things. Uh, just- Give me a story.
3: Yeah,
4: Yep. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jack, for um, giving a bit of the brief overview on what we are discussing today. I, I particularly like the idea of um, this custodial economics because we are tackling just a tiny part of it, which is biodiversity knowledge. You know, There are a lot of people connected with land, people that are studying biodiversity as part of their profession, say, as researchers or scientists they have a lot of knowledge and we feel this is not being effectively passed on to the people that need to know it and part of our effort through earth guardians is making sure we can enable those connections not just on a monetary economic level but as um, uh, as a way of engaging completely with land you know more like a in the biophilic sense so that's that's what we are trying to create with our digital twins, where we will be creating, you know, representations of real life in the digital world. But all those representations are actually verified and identified. And there is associated knowledge there that has been passed on by the custodians of land, be they be the local people or the, um, you know, scientists. So that's, that's kind of the little bit we are trying to do. And I'm sure there's a lot more on top of all this in terms of custodial economics, but that's where we are starting. And with tiny homes, what we plan to do is merge the um, the physical and the digital in that, okay, we've got these digital representations, but they need to be associated with something and that something is uh, a piece of land, a house, uh, uh, you know, a physical property that someone uh, is you know, a custodian of, I don't like to use the word owner of, it's more like a custodian and make sure that they're all connected so that at the end of the day, when you look at a piece of land, you're not just looking at, you know, the soil and the trees, but are also thinking, how are the humans connected to all of this? And I think that's, that's what we are trying to, that's kind of the larger vision at, of what we are trying to achieve. And... Um, Jeff, maybe I'll let you talk a little bit about, you know, your uh, concept of how the tiny homes fits with people's need to understand, you know, and be close to nature.
5: And, and Maliko, just in the transition bridge as a design like play offer, you know, even if you just start, we started exploring like that custodial score for a landowner, you know, you might yeah. give zero out of 100 for a person who has no relations to any of the other like nature species in that, um, you know, the twin twin mapped playground. You might give zero out of 100 for someone that doesn't share the land with other people, but there's no transience, there's no movement through, and then actually investing in custodial intelligence. So you could start to be like, you know, 100 person scoring, 100 might have had 80 people be through their land over the course of a year. Who are custodial, um, you know, players, and that they've added this value and this knowledge and that intelligence, and you can start to map the abundant score of what a land value could look like, pending how re- how how healthy the relations are. So you could stack from the base note up.
4: Exactly, um, Jack. In fact, that's that's one of the elements that we measure, which we call, um, you know, combined together is called bioscope. Part of that is. How, how many people are actually engaging with the land, and when I mean land, also biodiversity, and also how frequently are they engaging with it, and what are they engaging with it? So all of these elements are part of the bioscore. In other words, bioscore may represent a collection of these, but at the end of the day, it is saying people, humans are engaging with the land, and we can measure that and say this is um, a piece of land that has, um, you know, had no human engagement, which would make it less richer because, at the, you know, again, I always keep coming back to it. At the end of the day, if we don't recognize the importance of land, it's hard for our survival as well as a species. So we do measure that. And um, you're right. You know, we, we've we got to make sure that the uh, when we talk of people being custodians of land, the higher the number of custodians for any given piece of land the more richer the land is too you know because mm. there's more knowledge that's shared exchanged and um you know people learn a lot so it's not just about exchanging knowledge it's like a lot of people are so disconnected we want them to learn a bit more so that and once you start learning the good thing is you're forever in the learning mode and which is what we want most people to be in yeah
5: yeah it's in a reverse like um or a, sh- a total shift of the empire mindset, because then you you know, some crazy lemmings game being able to showcase the 20,000 custodial movements around the Amazon water basin, and then saying to, this is worth more value, these, this knowledge system or these patterns to be occupying this land, to supply this water value economically. And I think that is the prize that we've got to get to. It's about depth of where the land was before, and scoring like where did the land come from because no like in australia like we never gave up the land you know and then you're here in this playground being like most indigenous people are struggling with landlessness with homelessness with never being able to own property so what's the debt score and then what's the debt score financially where the land come from and then what's the debt score to nature and then i think we start to move into a playground where we can go well, what can be the credit scores and what can that look like and I think that's the the complexity which i love about indigenous systems thinking because it's always mapping backwards and forwards and in the different playgrounds
1: the one thing we can't um that you know we haven't figured out the one thing we haven't figured out how to measure is that um the informatics um you know of the knowledge that humans and non-humans share uh, with each other and across you know, um, across species uh, in those landscapes of meaning and, and how a ceremony <laughs> impacts this and all these flows of knowledge and those informatics there. Um, but I tell you what, we need to hear from Jeff because, um, I need to know like, well, what does this actually look like? Actually, really, really, um, you know, what, what Ooh. will it look like? I feel like he's very close to that. Um, how it looks on the ground. Mm. So Jeff, Tiny homes on the ground.
3: Mm. What does it look mm. like? So for us, so for us actually, um, when we first started this whole business, um, it was this really simple idea because uh, my two partners and I we have a lot of kids and uh, we love the farmstay concept in Australia. Because uh, Singapore is really urbanised, it's like a concrete jungle and we don't see a lot of green fields, open spaces and everything. So when we were there, we we loved the openness of the lands uh, in the rural and regional areas. We, we loved how our kids could see that, oh... Um, a cow looks like that and it's not a piece of meat between two burger patties. We love that they are not tethered to their digital devices like the iPads and their, their smartphones and, and whatnot. So we wanted to push forth this agenda of um, encouraging city dwellers um, like us here in Singapore, the serious city dwellers, to really take a step back and reconnect with nature because I'm sure all of us here um, know about the potential recharging capabilities of um, connecting once again with nature and for myself basically uh, I used to be from an advertising agency so I really love um, the authentic stories behind. So for us um, in terms of our business model we always try to curate the, the plots of lands that we place our tiny houses on. Uh, we look for places with stories where there's a historical background. And and of course, very happy to be introduced to this um, Jan and this group because um, I think we also like that part nice. about um, cu- custodians of the land. So learning really more about the, the rich history and the culture uh, of the, the places that we are operating in. So this is also something that I think in terms of um, tourism where uh, this industry that I'm in, people are now not thinking about like uh, hotels as a place to, to rest for the night, but they, they want experiential travel accommodations like uh, tiny houses in, in our sense. But um, because for us Singaporeans, we, um, when we talk about, Reconnecting with nature, for example. Um, Thoughts of uh, not having a proper sleep, not having a proper bath, not having proper food, for example. Uh, It deters a lot of people. So we really want to push forth encouraging them to reconnect with nature by taking baby steps, which is why we introduced the concept of tiny homes. So our tiny homes-wise... It comes fully equipped with a a queen-size bed. It has a a kitchenette where people can do some simple cooking. There's a toilet with hot water shower and of course um, Jack mentioned about the the mobility factor. This is something that we feel very deeply um, engaged in because a lot of our land partners they they are farmers so they are also sort of at mercy um, during prolonged periods of droughts and floods so what we wanted to do is also to engage the local community in terms of the farmers and all that to to place our tiny houses there so just to share a little bit more when we place a house there it is at no cost to them they don't have to pay a single cent but we engage them based on a profit share basis where they can earn up to 45% of um, the rental yields that is coming from the booking so we do all the, the publicity all the advertising and we get guests to their land and they are they can host them. So if they, for example, provide um, fringe activities like uh, horse riding lessons or, or whatnot, or even uh, trail bike rides or private winery tours, or they give a private tour of the lands, um, they are keeping 100% of the revenue because we recognize that this is their, their efforts. So again, um, back to the point, very happy to be here. So we also emphasize the fact on mobility um, where like in periods of floods for example uh, our our tiny houses they are propped about 800 mm off the ground so I would say that they are sort of relatively safe um, in terms of uh, floods unless like it, it floods beyond that which is quite serious. So it also allows us to change the location uh, of the tiny houses in accordance to maybe even seasons perhaps so that is the flexibility that we are, are looking at but of course uh, making sure that we Minimize the impact of tourism to the environment. So even the amenities inside the house, the the body lotion, the shampoos uh, are, that we use are actually fully organic, and they are kept in uh, biodegradable containers. Uh, in instances where there is uh, abundant sunlight, we also equip our tiny houses with solar panels at the top. We make use of composting toilets. We make use of uh, rainwater harvesting and filtration systems as well. So. This is uh, what our whole tiny house concept is about. And this is also how we want to encourage more and more people to go out into the wild, experience nature, reconnect with nature, learn about the stories of the culture, the rich culture behind Australia, your own backyard and stuff like that.
1: Oh, this is yeah. it, it's a great time and place uh, to be
3: looking at this in Australia
1: because we've got this um, housing crisis here at the moment. And there's also like a little bit of a, uh, a moral and ethical Airbnb, you know, crisis where people are sitting on all these multiple properties and uh, and putting them on Airbnb at the same time as nobody's got anyone where to live. You can't get a place to rent even. You're lining up people are homeless waiting. You know, um, yeah. So. <sighs> And, and and this is hard because you need to have these 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 places uh, increasing in value all the time to keep the real estate market going. And you know, land is two thirds of the world's capital, so it's um, it's really tricky. Uh, as Jack and I keep saying, like right from the start, we haven't got a homelessness problem; we have a landlessness problem in this world. And you know, landlessness is one of the things we focus on. I see this as a solution. Airbnb gets to continue existing. <laughs> um everybody happy uh what do you reckon johnny how's what do we need to tweak here what are your thoughts how does it work on the financial side and and more importantly on the human side which is where you live Mm.
5: um
2: i i think what's very exciting about this is uh a, a few different things but it's also it's the interconnectivity of the um of what uh, the work Malik is doing and, and Jeff and, and the thinking from the labs, Um, for example, just taking uh, data. um, There's so many different data sources that we can look at um, now around biodiversity, um, everything from um, satellite imaging, LIDAR, um, eDNA acoustics and people on the ground doing observations. And I think the data uh, around this is super exciting of, activating people out there in real time and being able to do this validation on it and then um one of the big pieces that sort of really came to light uh was when andrew was showing me the different realms around um uh particular places uh that people have mapped and i i when i thought about that and then the thought of um you starting your own realm around your tiny home or that or a vacation rental place and then people being able to map on top of that and add, and it becomes this, you know, uh, almost like, you know, when you're going to review somewhere, you would go and look through the, the realm and see all the different connections between different, um, you know, whether species or animals or, or, or different plants and go, oh, I want to go to that particular region because I want to see these things. And it sort of inspires that reconnection through. And to me, that was like, I guess, like a huge light bulb moment, mm um where I, I could i was like oh you're mapping this amazing data that you could use in many different forms in different um, bio regions and then you're actually activating people to
5: reconnect so it was this
2: this really beautiful loop
5: and you'd have these um i think what's really exciting jeff around the measurement of rent like as as one form of capital is then thinking about like you know a couple of parallel ones that we could experiment with in terms of like you know a custodial service like coming in and someone working on the land and being a part of the land or even just providing knowledge like it might be as much as that person came and gave knowledge to me on my property or, or energy like when we want, if we want to get really relational that starts to be a really interesting space to go into and emerging like energy in relations we travel around the world to like work with like kids from outside the margins to move people like all at work is service And currently in Australia, we actually have got this like um, imagination embassy that's going around and trying to help build 10,000 imagination classrooms around the world. So we're driving to places and stopping. And that would be a great like filter example of going, all right, well, who are 10 NGO partners in each region that do beautiful service for the community? And if there's places available, they definitely can come and stay in the tiny home and, you know, we're going to share that equity and that wealth because and then you map it through the guardians of the earth to be like well this is what a relational map looks like as to how healthy this home is when the value of that home is service to a local high school service to the local water service to the local like mayor service to joy service to story service to nature um you know someone put on a concert like that you suddenly start to show an economy in play and the value of a return on that is like so much more than rent you know and then you've got other playgrounds or government saying well this is a super important stimulation for our social and economic mobility and our well-being or you can use things like forest bathing which is, exists in Japan as a healthcare measurement and there's other levers if we accumulate the data not from a transactional one-way piece in short sightedness but we can see an ecosystem of wealth and there's much bigger buckets of money that can move around to to move that playground. And I think Airbnb can play in this as well. Like a nature score on Airbnb and the realms and and adding like a service element into Airbnb. If you're in service to the world um, or to nature, you can host can say, yeah, we give up 100 days or we invest 100 days into service a year into the world. Like, you know, we don't take a rental fee, but this is for people that are providing service to the world. There's ways to do this. Like if we're not all focused on the rent just being everything, in that one moment and taking the platform, from people. Yes.
4: Yes. Yeah. Mm. That's, that's so true, Jack. Um, one of the things that I feel that we've uh, realized was once you have the data, the, if the idea is you want people to be connected with nature, how do you use the data to mainstream people's uh, biodiversity into people's activities? And to us, the lowest hanging fruit seemed to be, well, most people like to travel. And a lot of people like to travel to places that are of um, nat- that have got great natural history, but mostly they don't know, except for a few hardcore um, nature-loving people. They don't know where to go and what they can see and what they can experience. So that was the lowest hanging fruit for us to um, plug into using our data is when people search for um, a place to go, Where do you want to go? Why do you want to go? When do you want to go? And then we'll tell you, okay, at this time of the year, if you're keen on maybe watching a bunch of these species, like say birds, then you know what? We highly recommend you go here. And usually a lot of these species are present in areas which are not as yet uh, completely disturbed by human built environment. And so tiny homes is a great, um, great step in that direction in that tiny homes are usually situated in uh, quite beautiful natural settings. And the likelihood of seeing species of diversity of species is higher there. And so we go, yes, this is where we know historically the species have been present. And You'll get great. Um, the setting is wonderful. The you know the, everything is attuned to ensuring prosperity of the land. Why don't you go here? That's the first. So that, as I said, is the lowest hanging fruit. But if you extend beyond that, like um, currently, Australian government has just released this. Um, um, they have announced a grant which is for biodiversity monitoring of the land, and they're looking at what are the different ways we can measure biodiversity on a land, and Quickly, a couple of things come to mind. One is, can you have a baseline measure and then over time see how it's increasing? And that increase will depend on whatever you're doing on the land to the land, which it could be that you're doing regenerative farming, or it could be that you're, you've are you decided not to use any more pesticides and just let it be. Or it could be that you're trying to actively encourage, say, um, a corridor for species to move from one end of your um, you know, your holdings to another side of your holdings, because there's two patches of forest, you've got your farmland in between. Can you make a connectivity so the animals can pass through freely? Every one of these actions will result in a change. And the most basic unit is measuring that change in terms of the diversity of species. So we can do that. So that's that's kind of the bigger play. We can also figure out, hey, there is the increment in biodiversity over time. How can the farmer or the landholder monetize that increment in, in some financial product so that they can get the benefit? Because at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is make the land better. So they need to be compensated for that. And is there a market mechanism we can put in place that makes sure it's definitely verified and it is being monitored by humans? And I guess, you know, we can always talk about remote sensing lidar and edna and things like that but at the end of the day again our mission is to engage people with nature so we got to make sure humans are always in there in that measurement because that's critical for our health too and then so and then we go yep there is this increment in biodiversity let's put some uh, market mechanism around it and make sure the landholder is compensated for all the good things they're doing so we start from the lowest hanging fruit of getting people to go where there is a lot of diversity and then at the, you know, move slowly towards a more broader, let's spend time on land, let's make it better and also be compensated.
1: Hey, Johnny, if, I mean, if, if the way that all, all this is structured, I mean, these, we're talking about economies that are structured like nature, which um, necessarily, no matter how much people say nature is red and tooth and claw and, and, you know, it's survival of the fittest, bloody blah. As soon as you start structuring things on natural patterns, it ends up being more heterarchical, which is what we see is coming out here. Um, the, the the problem is, you know, we know that the ruling classes, like they don't give up, they, they, they'll kill us all if, we, uh, if they feel like they're threatened and their power structures are threatened. And we know that there's no aristocracy without rents, a system based on rents. How can we implement this? How can we have tiny houses? (laughs) How can we be custodians of land and still make an aristocracy feel like it's special and that it will always be special and have a special uh, elevated place above the rest of us? Because really our survival depends on that, on our ability to make sure people uh, in elevated positions still feel elevated. Um, What are your thoughts? Um, well, I, I
2: think the interesting thing is there is, uh, people out there that are trying to look at revaluing nature through different means. And so we've seen some, um, uh, some companies out there looking at, uh, ecological system services as almost uh, value streams and measuring those sort of things to be able to say, um, uh, to basically say, well, uh, rather than just looking at what we can extract from this, we know that this is, this particular ecological system service is providing this much. We're going to put a value on it. Someone can invest in that, and they're sort of getting a dividend off these ecological system services. So there are a few people that are thinking about um, uh, uh, you know interesting ways to to create this value and actually of what of what nature's doing. There, there is also now a push um, in the UK for biodiversity, biodiversity credits and things like that. Um, and I know we've had a lot of discussions around, um, you know, whether or not that's the right thing. Destroying one, one thing over here and replacing it with one thing over there is not ne- necessarily equal. Um, but I think this exciting part is that there are a lot of people and especially people that are... Um, in positions of allocating capital that are thinking of this in a new way um how that manifests you know uh, some of the work that we're trying to do with the the nature fund and 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 our nature investing business is is aligned with that and we're seeing a lot of people engage with it Um, but there's always going to be these headwinds of or barriers for people uh, because in a lot of cases when you're changing a system um you're taking away their um uh privilege I don't want to say too more or I'll get assassinated like jack <laughs>
1: hey. uh look I'm I know you think I'm joking about that but you know it's um it's it's the way of the world you don't want to mess with power too much so um yeah Anyway, I don't think they they feel threatened by us.
5: Yes, 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 <laughs> I don't think we're
1: that good, but we are coming up with some interesting ideas. The main a really big thing there uh, Malika's you know, often talking about this, you know, we, we need these, we need to be able to convert these to scores that are meaningful. And Jack might be able to jump into that, but especially around insurance and stuff like that. I mean, you, you need you need to have units that are measurable and that can increase in value over time so that people get a return on their investment. And they also need to be able to gamble with these. So there needs to be probability coming in. There needs to be ways that people can measure. Oh, what, what I like is the idea that if people are trying to get a bit of an inside edge on on an investment, if we're speculating on nature, you know, in a bloody horrendous, um, you know, financial market, if we're speculating on nature and trying to make a killing, then you've got people, you know, trying to monitor things and people who are then powerful people who are incentivized to try and increase relations within nature and increase the health of systems, um, and get an inside edge as to how that might improve. The only problem is that's not the only way it goes. You know, people pump and dump as well. People like to see things crash and then buy them up cheap so that maybe they wouldn't mind if, um, you know, a rubber plantation went through the guts of this one and they were the only ones who knew about it. You know what I mean? So they can get the jump on everybody else. So you know, I don't trust it. I don't trust it either. Jack, help me too negative the
5: um Nana. Just, some the, from the design Jack. the design frames are fun like there's some there's some good like really practical levers like japan forest like you're like okay forest bathing that sounds woo woo but then when it's forest bathing um for health insurance you're like okay cool you can measure that and you can see that the people spending an hour in the forest Returns more health to to their behaviour, which saves the government money of healthcare, of hospitalizations, of suicide, of all of these different challenges. Increases life expectancy, and can increase productivity. So there's there's a lever there, and you go bang. That's where it can sit in. Think about Airbnb. We've accepted the cleaning fee, fifteen percent. What does a custodial fee look like, or what does a relationship to nature look like? What does the health of the property? So saying to someone owning a portfolio of properties, your value will increase if this land is healthy. If this land burns and every building on it burns, if it floods, your value is going to decrease and you're not going to have a healthy portfolio. If your office buildings are empty, which they are with remote working and you've got a 50 year lease and the value is going down, how are you gonna increase the value of your office buildings? You're gonna fill it with tiny homes and you're gonna create story, energy, soul and through that social and reputational credit, suddenly this monolith that you didn't realize was suddenly going to become like so unvaluable is filled and it's filled with economic value. You're still making money on the property but you're making money by investing into nature being the health of the property and the health equals the wealth. So I think that the cycle of people making money on land can absolutely still work if we move from that it's just where the investment goes and what how much we can we can return on that investment if we expand the measurement score, which still means someone owning a portfolio of property can make money. So I think with a nature fund, for example, you know by helping like uh, having a a nature fund example model might be all right, here's a billion dollars that goes to supporting and subsidising people with tiny homes in offices and around the world to be able to have a custodial um, economy. And we're going to give a credit here, and we think that this credit and this investment is going to return tenfold. Um, It's going to increase the value. You'll be a shareholder in this property or in this portfolio globally, or you'll be a shareholder in Airbnb, but it'll be a shareholder in the Nature score. And that Nature score, we think, will allow you to, to up your value in what you make that's that's part of it and then part of it, i think is actually we've got this 1.5 degree challenge where i think a number of businesses are going well if the seawaters rise at 60 meters and all of our office buildings and everything that we've got and all of our assets are gone anyway so there's a there's a genuine challenge of like well all your wealth's going to literally be flooded <laughs> or a lot of it or you're going to work out a different way that cab mobility so either close your eyes to it and go well whatever, and then the the water's come through your house and thanks very much, or you're open to it and you think about a smart way to invest in the next century has to be with nature-based finance. Like there's no way that we have a survival if we keep separating ourselves from nature.
1: Well, we need new stories around size. I sort of start to do that uh, a few years ago. I don't know, over a decade ago, uh, John Travolta started doing that. Like, he, he, he did a movie called Be Cool, which was, like, a sequel to Get Shorty, right? And one of the things in that is that he had this – he couldn't get his usual big car through the rental company, and he had, he was given this little Prius kind of thing. Anyway, and he had to rock up to meetings with all of these gangsters and stuff, and the gangsters are going, you know, hey, what's with your little car kind of thing? Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of like when I say gangster, I mean, with an A on the end, not ER, like, so it wasn't Italian gangsters. It was like a gangster rappers kind of thing. And they had all the big, like really you know, nice SUVs and everything. And anyway, he didn't feel, uh, he didn't feel, I don't know, threatened by that. He, he just asked them back, you know, how many miles do you get to the gallon on yours? And so he had a bigger um, efficiency than they did. And, uh, so a lot of his, uh, I don't know, <laughs> his fears and insecurities uh, culturally and economically and otherwise were assuaged there. That's the kind of shift we need. The thing that the Scientologists in Hollywood were starting for us like years ago just to try and get over their, um, you know, their, their, their racial insecurities. And uh, anyway, we need to get back to that. We need to find the good even in the bad. We need to somehow shift from, um, you know, Uh, from bigger is better, you know, faster, bigger, better, uh, from everyone wanting to have the big car, uh, to go and pick someone up for the date, uh, to wanting to have a tiny home. Um, is the word tiny problematic? Should we come up with something else? Um, I know minimalism uh, took off for a while, but there's too many syllables in that. Anyway, I kind of like tiny myself. How does everybody feel about the branding of this stuff?
4: I kind of like it too. I think it's a tiny home, big world, you know. You might stay in a tiny and closed space, but you're actually in a big space really, right? You're engaging with everything around you, whereas you could probably stay in Buckingham Palace and not really know what's next door, you know, like in terms of nature, so, yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I nice. also I also have a uh, a positive... Uh, relationship with it as well. I always think that it's um, with the tiny homes, at least what you, you you know what you can view online. There's always so much creativity and how to s- fit so much stuff into a little space, and so I think that's why there's like a lot of people um, have such a fascination with because there's so much creativity from through that constraint. Of being small, you know, people are very, very creative, which I, which I, I really admire.
1: We people always talk about living space, yeah you know. Uh, so, always been a problem. Yeah. And but I think it's, uh, in it's interesting because when,
3: uh, you don't need it. Yeah, I think a lot of people they don't realize that actually all we need is not that much. So, is is slowly people are getting that realisation that, oh actually I can just live in such a small space and yet still have all the necessary, all the essential items with them.
5: Jeff, do you mean to say that some of the people working in advertising like sold us some stories that we needed stuff when we didn't?
3: <laughs> yeah, it's a consumerism world, right? They, they, they sell things that um, you don't really need but people are bought into that dream, the big, the big dream that they, they, they dream up of or, or get people to think of that they really need that item. But uh, even for myself, uh, I sort of went to this minimalist mode after getting into this tiny house business where um, whenever I go on business trips to Australia, I always make it a point to, to stay with the, my land partners in my own tiny house. And I realized that um, you don't actually need that much of a space. So it also because of this constraint, perhaps also forces you to, to go out into nature because that's where the big playground is. You discover um, species that you've never seen before and you interact with them. So I thought that that is also a good way to get people to, to get out of their house uh, and really experience what best the nature has to offer.
5: So Jeff, you're saying if you own land in Australia somewhere now, you could get in touch with you guys and not spend a dollar to put a tiny home on there and then potentially kickstart like, you know, an economy pathway and then a more complicated, beautiful or a pathway, maybe with complexity that can help connect people to nature and create this movement. Like but someone could get in touch with you and not spend a dollar to make that happen.
3: Yep. Yep. So, so that's exactly what we are pushing because, um, uh, we really want, I would think, uh, people to, city dwellers to really experience nature. So if they get in touch with us, what happens is that we we will actually send a team down or we will actually go into a Zoom call with the, the potential landowner and we'll determine if the, the site is suitable, for example, making sure that uh, there's enough space for our tiny houses to go in. So they do not have to spend a dime uh, in terms of that to have a tiny house pulled to their site and then... We'll get it up and running in about uh, a couple of months, I would say, the longest, and then it will be ready for for travelers um, to, to go in and stay and really experience nature.
5: Amazing.
1: That's so exciting. Uh, Jack and I were talking yesterday, whenever we do something around change, uh, we're trying to make a change-based uh, change project, you know, it can't just be the thing. Everyone always focuses on that thing that they're changing and but it's like no no you've got to change multiple systems you have to affect multiple systems you know um you have to you have to you have to be making some kind of change in the money system that that's around that but then and also the cultural system social systems uh, around that thing otherwise any change you make is um it's not going to last it'll be a temporary blip um so finally does anybody have some um you know thousand mile wide sort of big picture ideas or statements they want to throw into the mix uh, to finish up this story.
4: Well, I don't have a statement, but I'm just curious to hear. um, Johnny, you are on the side of looking at uh, how finances are getting impacted by nature and also perhaps aware of how financial systems are changing to accommodate nature. Just click. Just a bit keen to hear what you're seeing at the moment.
2: Yeah, well, uh, I think uh, what we're seeing um, is, uh, I mean, at the top level is a shift from uh, not only investors, but uh, asset managers, uh, asset owners look going from a uh, shareholder only mentality to a stakeholder. Uh, also including stakeholders. Um, So looking at evaluating whether it's what companies are doing, um, uh, not based on the money that they're making, but actually how they're affecting the climate, the environment, um, uh, how are they, you know, the consumers of the products, sort of all of those different stakeholders. Um, And I also think that there's a big push um now for um, at least as we're being able to calculate these a little bit better t- uh, is for those externalities that companies are creating to become liabilities um, and so what that what that essentially is doing is that that companies will be responsible for these externalities and the people that are a- able to either, you know, decarbonize their supply chains or to, um, you know, have less impact in terms of the environment or social things that they're doing are actually going to be better, um, better run companies. And so I think that's really interesting because once people start to see that they start to, um, uh, evaluate, uh, things in a much different way. And I think the big, the big piece of it is how do you get people to engage with that? And so, a lot of the work we're doing is around um, helping people understand what they care about and that, and going through an exploration of that. Um, a lot of people actually haven't done that sort of or taken the time to be able to do that. Um, and then, how do we engage it through whether it's storytelling or data visualizations or or, or um, experiences, um, so people can start to understand that and look at different other uh, look at other things. Um, and yes. so, I, yeah, I'm really excited about, um, you know, the work that, you know, that, um, you know, Jeff was mentioning and you, Malika, about these taking small steps to getting more comfortable with nature, because I think as you get more, more comfortable with it, then you start to be able to um, respect it more and get more connected to it. And so you you need less and less as you become more comfortable.
4: Yep. Yeah, that, that, that does make um, a lot of sense that people are now exploring, or at least um, what I hear from you is that most asset managers are now kind of exploring what it means to be taking into account other aspects and not just the um, the dollar value at the end of the day. So that's um, hopefully we can get there sooner. I, I, I just feel we are moving there, but the pace is really slow and we do also need to include a lot of the aspects of locals living on the land which i feel is also missing so a couple of big pieces that are there but they're moving really slow and yeah i'm sure we're all getting a bit restless but big changes can happen slowly so i guess as jack has said we need to have all the pieces moving together right
1: that's right that's right it's got to sync singular interventions um never last for long uh coming in from one point what do you think
3: jeff yep yep i think it it needs to be a a concerted effort and um as riley pointed out by by johnny um i think the engagement is important because i think a lot of people they they don't realize they're just very comfortable in their way of life currently and uh basically it is about how we spread this awareness about uh this whole movement and how we should be protecting the the land that we live on and everything to push forth this agenda and together I guess getting more and more people on board really pushes that agenda forward.
5: Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think the speed's critical and like that's that's the part of when you when you play, you know, when you've been playing in change spaces for a long time, like you can move it quicker. And so the artists, the imaginative players, like we should be able to cross hatch, we should be able to move really quickly, we should be able to remove the barriers to entry. Should be looking, okay, cool. If this can play in Australia, how do we play this in America? How do we play this in some different areas? And the beauty is with five people, you can do it. Like that's what I love about these five unlikely connections. Like, you know, we can crosshatch this and we can get moving tomorrow. Like, you know, we already are moving. But where the, where the power becomes fascinating and amplifies is when you spend a little bit of time going diagonal. And it's not heaps. It's like half a day of design to translate what you're doing in your different playgrounds. That's two and a half days of work. And then suddenly, you've created this system-wide amplification project, which is like really, really valuable. So I think we should just be prioritizing what we're doing, hold ourselves accountable, come back on the on the on the podcast in three weeks' time, and tell everyone how we actually move quickly and what we're doing and what we've applied. Or so, yeah, I, I think it's time to move quick.
4: Um, Jack, a quick thing, you know, like we've five of us here have decided to do something about the whole problem we're discussing, and we're moving forward currently you know jeff and as earth guardians we're already trying to implement i mean i'm thinking of what is the next practical step we're already trying to implement this engagement this connection between us two i'm trying to think what is the thing we can do say with um aim or say tyson even with your lab or uh, johnny so that i'm always thinking what's the next practical step we can do because
5: yeah so I, some... I
4: feel a strong urgency you know so yeah, yeah
5: we've got our embassy traveling around Australia from tomorrow, we can stop at the tiny homes so we can find, find where, where they are and we can start building that as an example and find the people that might want to host us. So we can do that as one. And then I think we map like the parallel playgrounds like Malika of where we're, we're playing in the intersection of, of sort of how we start to measure some of these things. And then we move to, you know, the Australian government and talk about the bio credits and how this might be a case study example. And then we've got Climate Week coming up in September in New York as like a big potential playground. And there's lots that's incubating around the nature fund. So I think this is one way of us making sense. And then we start to wrap the design stuff and and move. So I think we should do 10 things at once in the next two weeks.
4: That's awesome. I, I like the fact that you'll be going to the tiny homes, which already brings us all connected, at least three of us. So Johnny and Tyson, look forward to seeing how we can you know, bring you all in as well. Um, Tyson, there is something I'd like to discuss with you. I don't know if you have a few minutes after this call. Just it'll be For really sure. quick. Yeah, thanks.
1: For yeah. sure. Um, same way too. Me with you. Look, I um yeah, I, I look I got a vested interest in getting this up and running. I wanna like in about a year I wanna uh I wanna just like completely uproot all all my little tiny family from this icy um like a banishment in Melbourne and uh, get on the road. So it'd be good to be able to start living around this way.